Will the God who loves all forsake? We were there when he called us. We were there on the water when nature obeyed his word. It's the Father, his Son, the Holy Spirit they share from eternity till now and back again. They've danced together in perfect peace. Was this just a good thing? Now come to an end? Can the God who knows all forget? In three days, he said, I'll build a new temple. And what I'm doing now, you do not understand. But someday, someday, you will. Olahi, Olahi, Lema Shavaktani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, good morning, Menlo Church. So glad to be with you today. It's an honor that you chose to spend part of your weekend with us. If you missed last week's message from Cheryl, I'd highly encourage you to go uh, check it out uh, online. In addition, I want to give a special welcome to all of our Bay Area campuses that are joining us uh, as well. And uh, right here at Menlo Park, would you join me in congratulating our new Saratoga campus who's launching right now? Well, a few weeks ago, uh, when I shared the news that San Jose and Saratoga would be merging into this new Saratoga campus, uh, I also used it as a moment to share my commitment to you that when hard news needed to be shared, that you would hear it openly and directly from me. I certainly hope that that's not something we have to do every week together, but as it happens, I want to be able to take a few minutes to do just that. And I have some news today that we need to start our time with. And uh, if you're new, I hope what you hear is a community that wants to openly and honestly address our shortcomings, even when it would be convenient not to. Many of you have already been updated with what I'm about to share via email this week. And if you haven't but would like to be, you can go to the Info Central area at whatever campus you're at and be added to that email list. But over the last few years, Menlo has been through some incredibly difficult challenges. Some of those our broader culture has shared with us. And as a part of that season, we underwent a thorough investigation into our practices for caring for our kids and students. We are committed as a community to ensuring that we draw a big circle around the next generation to make sure that our kids and student ministry environments are the safest places in all of the communities that we serve. This investigation has helped us to grow and become even stronger in this area as we move forward. As a part of that investigation, however, we learned that several instances of abuse from decades ago had not been addressed in a way that honored the survivors at the time. Menlo took some actions to remove certain staff, but there were gaps, there were misses, there were things that we did not do well, and there were wounds and hurts that still need healing. When I arrived a couple months ago, uh, a few of those survivors uh, bravely reached out to me directly and we began a dialogue in hopes of beginning a conversation to hear directly about the impact of the abuse they experienced at Menlo and the disappointing care that they received since. My hope is that these conversations with survivors will be ongoing and will hopefully include a mediated conversation with those who, survivors who are brave enough and, and interested in taking that next step. And I hope that what you hear is that that is not just about an event that took place decades ago, but this is a posture of how we wanna deal with difficult and challenging realities as a community anytime they come up. Now, I know that when stuff like this happens, right, we wonder what do we do from here, 
What do we do personally? What do we do as a church? And so I want to just give you a few next steps. First, grieve and pray. Grieve and pray. Menlo has a tremendous history of impacting and helping the communities that we serve, our region, and the world of almost 150 years. But we also have pain from our past that has not been healed. In the lives of those survivors who were impacted, we want to take the steps to be able to honor that, to be able to grieve and admit that. When we don't grieve hurt, we deceive ourselves. Nobody's perfect is not just a tagline for our church, for anybody that happens to walk onto one of our campuses or join us online. It's true of all of us. And hope that anything is possible, it includes the healing through honest repentance and grief that we all need individually and we need collectively as a church. Second, hold us accountable. Hold us accountable for the process and the progress that we need to make. Documentation of all the progress that we've been making over the last few years is available online as we continue to work and apply the learnings from that extensive investigation from a few years ago with our ministry partner, Zero Abuse Project. And finally, spread the word. This work isn't a secret. And if people need help, we wanna make their path to that help as clear as possible. Beginning today, we are partnering with Zero Abuse Project to facilitate an email address so that survivors can email this third party uh, partner directly with their concerns and begin hopefully the path towards healing. And we are also making a counseling fund available to the survivors so that we can hopefully help provide ongoing care that we pray can really help. I know that this is difficult. And if you've been around Menlo for a little while, even hearing this may be kind of triggering for you of some of the things that you are carrying from the past. But I would just say, Menlo, I believe, I believe that there is something so hopeful in this. Even with the pain, even with the hurt. Let me remind you, we are going to be okay. That being open and honest is always a better path forward. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. We will not have secrets. And if it carries more pain today, whatever this surfaces in you and you need help, I want to make sure you know this is a place that I hope you can find it. This will not be the last difficult piece of news that I ever have to share with you. But my commitment to you over and over again is that we will not shy away from it and I will communicate it with you openly and directly. Would you join me as we pray for our church and the work that's ahead for us in providing the type of restoration for those who have been abused and mistreated here? Would you pray with me? God, for some in the room, I know they're wondering why we even need to talk about this. That for them, it doesn't feel like it even relates to them. And for others, God, this feels like a closet they shut long ago. God, would you remind us that we get to carry the legacy of the men and women who have come before us, that we stand on their shoulders, that the successes they had, God, we're thankful for. And even in the places where abuse has taken place, God, we grieve and we take responsibility for what it means to care for them well, even now, decades later. God, would you help us to be a church that not only for the sake of Menlo, but for the sake of churches all over, God, that we would help learn the best ways to be able to protect kids and students, the vulnerable, to be able to spot those who are seeking to do harm and God, to widen that circle of safety and care for those that call Menlo home. God, we need your help. 
We need your hand. We pray that you would work in our lives individually and in our community today as we continue to seek your face in the difficult and complicated conversation we're having. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wish I could promise you that the rest of our time together was basically just a stand-up routine that I've been working on over COVID that I was going to try out with you. Um, But if you have been here for the last few weeks, you know that we're in a series on the last words of Jesus from the cross. And so it is not about to get lighter, just so you know. Uh, When you hear phrases though, like uh, necessary evil, tough pill to swallow, bitter truth, cold hard facts, unfortunate reality, what comes to mind for you? See, I think that uh, the core of phrases like that, we have to acknowledge that everything we need doesn't always feel good. That everything that's true doesn't always feel easy. Often it's exactly the opposite. And in the words that we're gonna explore today, we will discover and see that tension anew. Our region in the last few days has experienced a very difficult and painful week with the sudden collapse and closure of Silicon Valley Bank, this regional bank that even if you didn't have an account at, someone in your life was significantly impacted. And you probably know somebody that's trying to process through what are the lessons and what do we do with this? And even if it feels like there's a plan moving forward, the pain still hurts. I've been praying for our community this week that in the midst of this pain, Christians or not, we would turn to the person of Jesus over our own performance. That it would be a realization that he is the only one that will endure. And I know that this week has been a tough pill to swallow for many in our region. And it will have long lasting implications. I wonder for you this week aside, what has been the, what has been the last difficult moment that you faced and, and what happened as a result of it? Somebody said, my power went out. Amen, I hear that prayer. <laughs> Can I tell you that today it was raining and I was like, does the power go out with rain all the time now? Or <laughs> God always allows difficult things in our lives for a specific reason. There's a purpose to it. But how many of us, we just try to bury it rather than doing the work to unearth its purpose. We live within a culture where pain is to be avoided at all costs. But here's the thing, following Jesus, listen, always includes pain. It is the process by which God draws you and me to himself. As a matter of fact, a profound 20th century pastor and theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, during the World War II era, he said it this way, he said, we have to learn that personal suffering is a more effective key, a more rewarding principle for exploring the world in thought and action than personal good fortune. We live in a culture that believes the opposite of that. See, that lesson is the one that we're going to see modeled by Jesus today. And in particular, we will see that the worst moment set up the the greatest movement, the movement that you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, are a part of today started because of that day. In this passage of Jesus on the cross, we will see him demonstrate three lessons for us that changed everything for humanity, and it can change everything for your humanity this week and beyond. The first lesson is this, pain hurts. I know, you came to church for that, pain hurts. In this passage of Jesus on the cross, we're going to see this lesson that, while it feels obvious, I think what's important to note is that pain, it can't be explained away. 
As a matter of fact, pain can't be experienced away. You will experience pain firsthand. As a matter of fact, for some of you, you're experiencing it right now. When I was younger, uh, I played football and I blew out my knees twice playing football because I'm a slow learner. And you would think that after having experienced it once, I would be more prepared for the second time, that it wouldn't have hurt the same way. But the second time, that instant pain, sort of seeing white and then it just getting worse and worse, all of it felt exactly as painful. Even though I could see it coming, even though I had done the physical therapy, even though I had been through treatment, I have a friend who has faced uh, infertility over the course of many years. And even though they know the pain of disappointment after every failed attempt, it doesn't remove the pain. That's part of what makes it even more difficult. Jesus, he experienced this firsthand. Throughout all of eternity, Jesus was anticipating the pain that he would feel, but it wasn't until he was fully God and fully man in the actual moment hanging on the cross that he would experience this pain. And guess what? It still hurt. We pick up the story with Jesus on the cross, but this time we will hear it explained by Mark. Mark is a follower of Jesus in the first century who wrote the most action-packed version of Jesus' biography that we have in the New Testament of our Bibles. One of his favorite words we translate immediately. He is constantly pushing the story forward to show the connection. This is where Mark picks up our story this morning. He says, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As I said, Mark is trying to give us a high level view of Jesus' crucifixion that is very action-packed. It'll feel faster than the passages that we've studied in Luke up to this point. But Mark wants to narrow in on this moment for a specific purpose. We're at midday, uh, which if you don't know kind of this point culturally, midday from about noon to three would have been the time that most people avoided being outside. It was the hottest. It was the driest. It was the time that you went inside because of that. But this time was different because even though that's the normal reality that they would have experienced in this moment, at this time, there was darkness over the whole land representative of God's judgment. It was a different kind of atmospheric river 2,000 years ago, right? But this was unheard of at the time, and it only added to the confusion and the mystery that people were feeling. They had seen crucifixion before. It was intentionally public, but they had never seen a crucifixion like this, and they had never seen someone suffer through it the way they were watching Jesus suffer through it. Jesus had been breathing in pain, slowly becoming weaker and weaker physically, but here we see him highlight a look into his struggles that we could never relate to. Maybe you have experienced physical pain, but you have never experienced this. He says in Aramaic, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here's the thing. If you hear that as a question, there is a theological problem. Because if Jesus is asking God the Father, why have you forsaken me? The problem is he knew why God the Father had forsaken him. This was not a statement of questioning God. This was a description of the severity of the pain. We've talked about this already, but God exists in something called the Trinity. One God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, 
and God the Holy Spirit. They live in perfect unity for all eternity. Not a long time, all time, before time. At a theological depth we can't imagine. At this moment in Mark's account, even though he knew that the forsaken part was coming, experiencing it was something different. He knew that the pain was prescribed. He knew that it was a part of the process, but feeling it was different. Even with all of the physical anguish that he had experienced, even with all of the pain he had endured, this was the call out from Mark. Not the physical pain, but the spiritual reality of God looking at Jesus and seeing your and my shortcomings, seeing your and my sin. This is the only time that Jesus does not refer to God as his father. He felt a degree of weight as the punishment for your sin, as the punishment for my sin. Because in his love, this was the purpose by which he came. This was the purpose for which he died. This was the purpose for which he would be resurrected. And he did all of it. He faced all of it because there was something on the other side of pain that was worth it. Jesus wasn't asking God for a reason. He was expressing the weight of the pain. As a matter of fact, Jesus was quoting a scripture here. He had memorized so much. And here he's quoting from a book of Psalms in the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, from Psalm 22, where the final hours of Jesus' life and execution are being actually quoted by Jesus as it's happening. Jesus knew that the weight of the world was on him. He had been preparing for this moment since before the foundation of the world. Fully God, fully man, he had been preparing for this moment for 33 years. And even with all of that, it still hurt. And because of that, you should have so much hope that that God who loves you today can relate to you in your pain. It was worth it because of what God was doing with it. It doesn't remove the pain. And that's true in your life too. Sometimes as Christians, here's the thing we feel it necessary to do. We just paint a smile on. We're really good at this. Hey, how was your week? And we say, fine. If you're like a varsity Christian, you go, I'm blessed. Even if it's not true. And Jesus says, it's okay to be honest. It should give us permission to feel the pain that we really feel. We can know that God is with us that God will use whatever we are going through and that, he can, that we can rather still express the pain and anguish to him that come with whatever the pain is. Your lost job, your financial instability, your marriage is in trouble, your kids are off the rails, you find yourself with a diagnosis that you don't know how to deal with. Don't just let it breeze by. Don't just assume. You just close your eyes and pretend it's not real. Be honest about that. Be honest with God. Be honest with other people. He can handle the weight of your wandering. He can handle the pain that you feel. The second lesson that Jesus teaches us in this portion of the resurrection is that tests come. Tests come. This is a tough lesson for all of us, right? Especially when they are surprise tests. I remember as an undergrad, 
student uh, in Bible college, my, my very first year in Bible college, I was in a very difficult class. And in that class, uh, I sat down and I was surprised to hear the professor talk about a test that we were about to take only days into a new semester. And as a wide-eyed freshman, still getting my bearings as a college student, I said just loud enough that the students around me could hear, I said, when did we hear about a test? And a thoughtful, kind, full of Christian charity classmate turned around and said, read your syllabus. I learned what a syllabus was that day, so that was a good lesson. <laughs> but the problem is that life doesn't have a syllabus, does it? We don't know when the tests are coming. We just know that they are going to come. We know that the challenges will be waiting for us. And even though we don't know when it's coming, we know that it is. And preparing with that reality is a really important part of our life, which makes Jesus facing this test so much more powerful. Mark continues the section here. He says, and some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. People, they had heard Jesus crying out and what they thought he was saying was calling for the former prophet to the people of God, Elijah. Elijah did not die. He ascended uh, directly to heaven and they believed that he would eventually come and help the Messiah. And some probably thought that because what Jesus had said, my God, my God, in Aramaic, uh, the way that that would have been heard was Eli, Eli, uh, which especially Jesus suffering so much physically, they may have heard of as Elijah. We'll get more into the details of that in the weeks to come. Um, but here we see this because some of them, they wanted to see if Elijah would come. I think others, they were probably just using this as a reason to continue to mock Jesus and extend their opportunity to ridicule him. Jesus knew that these tests were coming, but he was always careful to detect something that we would be careful to do as well. He was so careful to detect the difference between tests that he needed to pass and tests that he should pass on. He knew the difference. You've been there before too, haven't you? The difference between tests that you need to be so thoughtful and calibrating your perspective and time about and what you should pass on. Someone throws a little bit of guilt, a little bit of pressure in so that you will do what they want. In my life, it usually sounds something like this if you're wondering, um, well, I thought that you were a pastor, but <laughs> that's one I like. Or here, I was thinking that you were here to fix this, but, and they're usually subtle invitations for me to take on too much or to make promises that I can't keep. And here's the thing, I would love to be able to meet all of those expectations. In my flesh, I would love to be at every bedside that needed me. I'd love to be able to counsel everyone who wants it. I'd love to be able to simultaneously be at every campus and care for every person and meet every expectation but I can't. Ultimately, I know that I can't fix anything, but I get to be a part of a community that watches God grow and heal us for the growth and healing that not only does he wanna do in us, but he also wants to do that in the world around us. But those tests, those tests that I should pass on, 
versus the tests that I need to pass with God are quite different. Can you relate? Can you think of the difference in your life? Maybe it's the unsustainable expectations of your school. You know it, and you're doing all kinds of things to manage it, but you know some of those you should say no to. Maybe it's the unsustainable expectations of a boss who does not think of you as a human being but a robot. Maybe for some of you, it's the expectations you feel every time you open up a social media app and you see a lifestyle that for the record, they are not living either. They are just deceiving you into thinking that they are living so that you will try to live a life of people that you don't really like anyway. (laughs) There are tests that matter, tests that will narrow your focus, tests that will help increase your focus on what really matters in life. And there are others that you should let go. Jesus is giving us an example of how we answer this question, what matters most? That's the question that Jesus knew the answer to. He knew why he was hanging there. He knew why he had come to earth. He knew why this principle that we get to watch work out fully God, fully man, living a perfect life on our behalf, dying in our place, coming back from the grave. He knew that that was his mission and it shaped his entire life. Maybe your homework this week is to talk with people in your life who follow God with you or to talk with God yourself about how to answer that question. What matters most to you? Because until you have that answer, you will pass or try to pass a lot of tests that you should pass on. See, the reason this is so important is summed up by an Australian pastor named Mark Sayers who puts it this way. He says, in the absence of a story or foundation that gives hope or meaning, Life has become a never-ending quest for pleasure and experience. Listen to this, church. Instead of being good, people want to feel good. I'm not sure there's a better description of our moment than that. Finally, Jesus teaches us one more lesson, and that lesson is that access matters. Access matters. Over the next few weeks, we'll see other authors give us a lot of detail into these final moments of Jesus' life, but we see this pretty quick section by Mark who says this. He says, and Jesus um, uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who that means led a hundred, who stood facing him, saw this in the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. The thing I wanna focus on in our final moments together is the veil. If you aren't familiar with this idea, you're new to faith or new to church, there's a portion of the temple for the Jewish people that is divided on purpose. It's separated into different parts from one another. And the most sacred part, the Holy of Holies, is used for a special occasion. Once a year, the chief priest would enter the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice for the unintentional, the accidental sins of the Jewish people. It happened with great care and precision on a day called the Day of Atonement. It was not just symbolic for them. It was a reset of this accidental sinful behavior, these misses of the mark, and it reset the status of Israel with God. This access and the careful way that they managed that access, it was extremely important. And here we see that Jesus' death literally tore the veil in two. And even in Mark's account, which is very much driven towards um, 
brevity and speed, we see this detail that it was torn from top to bottom, giving us this very clear picture that it was God who tore this thick veil from the top of a room height all the way down. See, we take this for granted, don't we? But first century Jews, they did not. They had spent their entire lives feeling this veil. Not just when they were in the temple, but every moment of their life. Access to God and relationship to God and conversation with God. It was always behind a sacrificial system, behind high priests. It was behind sacrifices. But now Jesus had become the sacrifice. The whole point of Jesus' earthly ministry was that you and I might be in relationship with no veil. Heaven is a place where that relationship extends to. If you're a Christian, you think about that sometimes. If you're a non-Christian, maybe you think about that sometimes. But heaven is a location. The point of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was relationship restored. And that part, that could start for you today. That was what Jesus came to deliver. We are here today. We are united in the same mission of people finding and following Jesus 2,000 years later because the worst moment in history set up the greatest movement in history. And so for you, how do you relate to that? How do you experience pain as the process by which God draws you closer to himself? Today, I am roughly 80 days old in Menlo time. I think I got a couple more grays, but... I've also averaged uh, two to four days without power per month since I've been here. <laughs> and we are all learning to cope with this spring. I've been blamed for it as this totally unique event. I get it. It's my fault. Um, but this time, over the course of the last week, as we experienced Monday through Thursday without power, something happened this time. This time, we were ready for it. We had the bin of candles I knew where our battery bricks were to charge devices. I knew how I could take meetings without power or consistent internet from inside my car during rainy and windy days. I have learned to live without power, forsaken by PG&E. <laughs> the sad thing is we've also too often learned how to live life disconnected from God. We have habits, hang-ups, coping mechanisms where we just sort of dole the pain of what feels separate, like separation rather than pursuing God in the middle of it. We feel forsaken by God when Jesus died so that we would never have to be. We feel forsaken by God because in those storms of life, rather than running to him, we are running from him. See, the power grid of connection to God will never go down with a storm in your life. But what have you allowed to convince you otherwise? Maybe this is a good check-in for one of those steps you committed to taking a few weeks ago. Maybe it's a, a fast that you're experiencing over this season as we prepare for Lent. Maybe it's the Lent devotional guide that you've kind of had sitting collecting dust for a little while. What were some next steps that you committed to that this could be a reminder to take today? We come together like this as a way of reminding ourselves that God's grid of power and connection with him and with each other it isn't supposed to be temporary. It isn't supposed to be conditional. Especially when your week feels stormy and life feels difficult. We so desperately need this reminder. Can I pray for us?
God, we know that there are things in our life that we can't do without you. But God, we confess that too often there are things in our life that we shouldn't do without you, but we try to anyway. And when you send pain as the process or you allow pain in our life as a part of bringing us back, God, I confess I resist. We resist. We push it away. And so would you help us, God? Would you help us where people have disappointed us, where maybe the church has disappointed us, where we have experienced pain and loss and heartache to be able to be reminded of this moment where you hung on the cross and you were forsaken so that we would never have to be. God, be with us now. Shape our hearts and our minds into this closer picture of who you died to make us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.